Well, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I feel like I'm in a time warp. And uh, there are times where you discover things and realize, oh, some people don't even know a different time. Like, it's all they know. So, so like, for example, my granddaughter uh, will call us, and she doesn't even think a phone is something you talk on. She thinks it's something you see. She has no idea that people talk on the phone. She thinks you look, and she will talk to us and walk around the house and show us things. Half of it's the, the roof. Like, I see the ceiling a lot. But, like, that's the only way she knows it. In fact, think if you said to her what we used to say when we're supposed to be done with the phone, we say, hang up the phone. Like, what does that even mean? I, I, what, hang up, what does hang up mean? Because you'd have to be old enough to know what a phone was like that you had on a wall to hang it up, wouldn't you? Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about either. And well, Lord bless you, but we do. I mean, think of the things that we don't know when we're kids, how kids just confuse those things and don't understand them because it's all they know is this short proximity. I read a story this week of a, a mom who t- said her son asked her what iPad game she used to play when she was growing up. She said, well, what I did was I just put glue on my hands and let it dry, and we peeled it. Like, that's the caliber of game we had. <laughs> but it is interesting how we all only know what we've been exposed to in our lifetime or our circumstance, isn't it? And I tell you that today. We're, we're looking at the Holy Spirit. We've been doing this for four weeks. This is our fifth. We'll do it next week. And we have to start from a place of going, I don't know that I really get it. Could it be there's a lot more for me to understand than I am living in right now? And could we even ask God to show us things we don't know? And the beauty is the disciples help us understand that because they didn't get it, in case you don't know. I I told you in the first week we want to have childlike wonder. Can we also have a childlike humility to go, maybe I don't get it? So I'm going to take you. We're going to go somewhere today. It's kind of the beginning of the early church after Jesus has risen. For those of you who don't know, he ultimately says we're going to be given his spirit. He's not just going to be around us. He's going to live in us. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look specifically at the power of that. But I want you to hear what his disciples ask him, because they ask him a question. You know how kids ask questions, right? They ask a question, well-meaning, they ask this. They said they gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, in case you don't know, the very question of this is off-topic. What they're saying to Jesus is, now you've risen, And is it going to be different? So when Jesus walked the earth, he told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And all they kept wanting was, we want you to be Messiah where you take over. So they're asking it again, hey, Jesus, now that you're risen, will you raise up Israel as a power? And can we dominate the rest of the world under your rule and reign? And can we reign alongside of you? That's what they're asking. When is it going to happen? When are we going to be in charge and you're going to use your power to take over? Now, I want you to understand Do you think we could do that still today? Do we still have that idea that we want Jesus to take over and let us be in charge and fight for things? And you do realize that's the problem we're having today, isn't it? Like we have the same question, Jesus, when are you going to take over? When are you going to restore our lives and have it be the way it wants? Now, I love Jesus' response. He just kind of ignores it. (laughs) Hey, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. Now, in case you don't know, this is an answer, which is, when, when Jesus returns after he goes to be with the Father, gives us a spirit at his second coming, which is the end of time, then it will be like that, but it'll still look different than we expect. That's what he's saying. But it's what he's going to tell them now that matters. You're asking when I'm going to make things different and be in charge, and let me just tell you what I'm going to do instead. That's where he takes us. I have a beautiful aftertone hum, don't I, right now? Mm. Sorry, I don't mean to pick on the sound. I'm just very distracted because I, hmm. 
I'm in trouble. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, this is great news. You're going to have power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to have power. But they just asked him about power. And they go, well, it's not the kind of power I thought we'd have. What do you mean we're going to have power? What does this look like? Why are we going to have power? What's the power going to be? And he explains it right here. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what you're going to do, be my witnesses. Now, we're going to come back to witnesses because that's all we need to understand today. God gives us his power to be his witnesses. What does that look like? And we tend to minimize that and make something less than. I just want to be clear. When he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, from a Jewish perspective, the world was not holy. When you got into the land of Israel, it got holier. When you moved in Jerusalem, it got holier. When you move towards the temple, it got holier. When you get to the outer courts, holier. Inner courts, holier. When you get to the Holy of Holies, you are epicenter of holiness. It's geographical and emanates out. Now, in case you don't know, we talked about this last week. Jesus said there'll be a time coming when you don't worship on a mountain. You worship in spirit and truth. In other words, I'm going to give you my spirit. and It's going to, everywhere you go, it's going to be. Pretty crazy, huh? And by the way, what happens in this moment is crazy, but we'll come back to it. Because we want to stop on witnesses. We want to look at witnesses. What does that mean? And I want to take you back when Jesus is with his disciples. What does he mean by being witnesses? And I want to just say this so we don't miss it. Because in the church, oftentimes we think of witness as, I'm bold, I say it, it's not my problem, what happens? And we tend to use it as a confrontational witness. I'm going to ask people what they think their life, how their life's going to be. I might even ask them where they're going to go when they die. If they don't respond, not my problem. My witnessing is speaking the truth of salvation and in a loving or unloving way is irrelevant. That's how we can reduce witnessing or we can reduce it to I just tell about who Jesus is and that's the end. I want you to see how Jesus portrays it and what that might mean for you and me. Let me take you back to the 12 disciples and what he does with them. This is in Luke's account. When Jesus, before his resurrection, it says he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority. By the way, this is the same power and authority he wants to give to us, but give it permanently. To drive out demons, cure diseases, and then he sent them out. (laughs) Okay, I want to say it again. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. Now, I know that sounds great. Can we be honest? We're like kids understanding that. Sounds great. I got a lot of reasons. I wonder if it really happens or how it happens or what it means. But that's what he told them. You want to know what witnessing is? This is part of it. You're going to drive out demons and you're going to cure diseases. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to send you out. And then he says, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Basically, he's saying you're going to say it, you're going to proclaim it, and you're going to show it. You're going to tell it. You're going to tell who he is and what he's done and what his kingdom's like, and you're going to show it. You're going to show the kingdom by healing people. Tell it, show it. Tell it, show it. What does that sound like? Show and tell. Show and tell. Do you guys remember show and tell? I, I did find out, I checked. We kids still do this. Sometimes you say something, you're like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. I don't know why. But So I don't know if you remember doing show and tell growing up. Just show of hands. Anybody do show and tell growing up? Great. When you get home today, you can do it. I thought about it because I probably did pets and all sorts of things. I read a funny story this week. I thought it was just fascinating. So this little boy came to show and tell, and he brought his gloves. And he put them on, and he told them about his gloves that he does with his dad. He uses them with his dad. Apparently, I don't even know how to put my own gloves on. Jeez, these are my dad's old gloves that 
I found them actually in a coat that was his that he gave me, so now I keep them because I love them because they're my dad's old gloves. So if you think they're, oh, they're isotoners, don't wear them, they're outdated, I don't care, okay? Anyway, he put his gloves on, and he said, I wear these gloves with my dad, and I go to windows of houses, and I open them up for him, and we burgle them. <laughs> Literally, that's, he and his dad are burglars together, and he uses his gloves so no one knows it's them, but he was sharing and telling, showing and telling. He didn't just tell, he showed them what he did. Come on, that's just wild, isn't it? Now, you got to go, something's seriously wrong with a dad, but it's kind of funny that they have this together. I just found that so interesting. Any burglars out there, please stop. <laughs> what I want you to get, though, is the idea of telling and showing, showing and telling, because that is always how Jesus moves. All through the Gospels, sometimes he tells first, sometimes he shows first. It's either way, but he shows and he tells and he shows and he tells. You want to know what it means to be a witness? You and I, we show and we tell others. We show and we tell. We show and we tell. We do it over and over and over again. Now, let's admit, does that scare you? You can at least try to tell about the kingdom of Jesus, and there's things we're learning we can, but can we tell everything? And showing it, I don't know when the last time you were demonstrating supernatural things, but it's kind of scary for us to even proclaim it, let alone try it. We're reasonable people. Maybe it was just for the disciples. Maybe it was just a time. There's even teachings that teach it was a certain time, it all closed out, it's not anymore, which is a horrible understanding. But I want to show you what Jesus said before he leaves the earth. This is in John 14 about this witnessing and about things we'll do. This is what he says in John 14. Well, this is the statement I made for you. I already already told you that. But anyway, he says, "I, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, who is that? I'm sorry, who is that? Gosh, you guys, just, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm having trouble managing all this. Who is that? Whoever believes in me. It's us, isn't it? Whoever believes in me. He didn't say, oh, there'll be a select few. It'll be a certain time. It'll only be whoever believes in me. All of the people who follow Jesus and are given his spirit, they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He's saying, guess what? You and I have more to give than even Jesus did. Now, we we do know what Jesus did, right? You you know some of the things Jesus did. I mean, this, this is the guy who healed people. He literally said, stretch out your hand, and their hand grew. He said, get up, and they walked. He said, open your eyes, and they see. He said, open your ears, and they heard. He walked on water, raised Lazarus from the dead. We can go on and on. Did he say you might do something kind of near it on a a great day, maybe something even close? He said you're going to do what? Greater things. Now, you realize that messes with our minds, doesn't it? Because the way we live today, we might even say we think it's real. I had one uh, one pastor I grew up, one one of my favorite pastors, John Wimber, used to say, I went and started asking churches, when do I get to see this stuff? And they said, oh, we believe it, we just don't see it. Like, oh, no, Why? Why do we not believe this would actually happen? What in you and me keeps us from believing the Spirit could actually do what Jesus said the Spirit would do? Now, now make no mistake, it's scary. Uh, first to admit, I, I still remember <clears throat> this was, Jane and I hadn't been married too long, and we had several couples go through horrible tragedies, and one of them lost a baby. And I was really learning more about how the Spirit wants to move, and I thought, I should pray for the baby to rise, be risen. I should pray for resurrection. That's what it says to do. Why shouldn't I ask? I mean, it says that, doesn't it? You're all looking at me like, you weirdo, what are you doing? It it, it didn't happen, but I prayed it for days. 
until the funeral was over. And I know it didn't happen, but I think I was on the right track. Because I thought, why not? Why not try? Why not ask? Why do we just say no? Why are we so reasonable that we don't believe it could happen? What's in us that says, no way, this couldn't go? And make no mistake, Jesus isn't the only one that did this. We saw the early church do this stuff. Acts chapter 2, after all this happens, they're filled with spirit. Remember, he says, you'll get power. And and the wildest thing, so Jews are coming from all over the world for Pentecost, for what's what's at the time a different feast. We call it Pentecost now. But uh, during this feast, they're coming together in Jerusalem. So they're from all sorts of parts of the world. They speak different languages. It tells us that the early followers get the tongues of fire on them, and they begin to speak in different languages, literally the languages of all the people in in the area. So what they're doing is they're speaking in the language that the people need to hear to know who God is. In case you don't know, that is a uh, showing, not just a telling. The telling was a showing. Show and tell at the same time. I'm telling you, and by the way, it's showing you because you know I don't know those languages. They actually accuse them of being drunk. Like, we're drunk and magically saying the right words that you need to hear? That's weird. Because they can't explain it. And the church blows up 3,000 new people. We get to Acts chapter 3, and guess what? There's a guy standing at the, basically, well, he's sitting, he can't walk. He's begging for help. And Peter says, hey, I don't have anything to give you, but get up in the name of Jesus. The guy stands up. Whew. Then people start bringing their sick to these disciples. And they even want to get near him where the clouds, like if there's any shade, so they, they hope maybe just touching the shade will get them healed. And it says all of them are healed time and time again. We move into the later parts of Acts, even as we keep going. And it's good and bad. Like, oh my goodness, one guy is standing there seeing heaven, all sorts of people being healed, and it leads ultimately to his death and destruction. A second disciple, the same way. So in the midst of God showing and telling, there's also death and destruction. It's all weaving together. And the whole story of the New Testament church, by the way, is both showing and telling, showing and telling. It's not just a nice thing they try to convince people of. Even the telling, the Spirit is helping them. Early on, the Spirit says, listen, You'll get what you need when the time comes. You're not even going to know what to say. But the Spirit's going to give you even how to talk as well as what to do. Come on, it's got to sound amazing. But let's agree, it also sounds overwhelming. What do I do? How do I do this? What's this look like? I've got all sorts of reasons I don't think this could happen today. I mean, we're adults. We know better. Why don't we think it's for today? What do you think might be keeping us? And this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give us some places to reflect because could it be that God wants to break through some of those that we just begin to move towards him and move independence to him? Here's the first one. We don't see it. You know, let's be honest. We live in a very reasonable place and we don't hear and see about a lot of supernatural things. So we kind of think they must not be happening because we don't see them. What if there's more to it than that? It's interesting, you know, we, we're part of a global movement, so we get to hear what's going on around the world and interact with people. In one of the areas that's quite oppressed and difficult that I can't share the actual region of it, we have people in there, and all they've done is they meet up with people and they ask, hey, how can I pray for you with your health? Because they usually have illnesses and issues, they have relationship breakdown, and they have financial troubles. And they just ask people, what can I pray for for you? And they begin to pray, and guess what happens? God moves supernaturally. And by the way, God moves supernaturally all over the world. And guess where, guess where the church is growing, the places God moves supernaturally? Because people can't deny it. Oh my goodness, this must be real. God's moving. 
I mean, it's happening all over the world. We just don't see it, so we think it can't be happening. We look back and go, well, God moved all through Asia Minor. It didn't make any sense. There's nothing strategic. There was no great plan about how to do it. They didn't work through the systems and processes and have new creative people. And, oh, we're going to challenge system. We're going to do all these. No, God just moved and breathed, and it changed things. Because people were showing and telling, showing and telling. So could I, at least for the first one, say maybe we don't see it because we're not looking And maybe in the area we live, we'll keep walking through this. We have so much doubt, it's hard to believe it or even ask for it. What do I do if I ask for it? In fact, let me take you to the second one because I think it relates. I think we think it's not intellectually plausible. You know what? It doesn't make sense. There's no way this is happening. We're people of reason. We can explain things away. Back in the ancient world, they didn't know any better. They thought they were healings. They probably weren't. They were circumstances. And you know, even today, we have things that happen, and the doctors just say it's idiopathic. I don't know why it happened, but it got better. Thursday, I I got a call in the middle of the night uh, from a family here, and uh, the young young boy's 14. He's been having all sorts of issues, heart issues, and in the hospital. You probably, some of you are even familiar with it. And honestly, his family thought they, they had coded. They thought he wasn't going to make it. They'd asked me to just come up. And as I'm driving up, I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're always preparing to kind of help comfort people. I'm thinking, I want to pray for healing. I want to even go in and ask God to move. But I'm always so embarrassed to think, what if I pray for God to move and he doesn't? It scares me to have it not happen and not be able to explain it and feel embarrassed. But I'm praying. And I know other people are praying. Their whole extended family was. I got up there. And he was up and better. I wasn't all better, but he was better. And I literally was there when the doctor came in and said, I just can't explain what happened. I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, I can. And I don't know all that's going to transpire. I've seen things get better and worse, but I'm going to keep praying for that little boy's heart to get fully healed. Because I think God doesn't want to just tell us. I think he wants to show us. You know, what if we move past our reason? And and I'll tell you this. This is just something I've been considering lately. When I look at all the groups of people that we are so feisty about so many things, to try to get anybody to move towards Jesus, they either have to drop certain things they believe about politics, certain things they believe about culture. Like, they're so preoccupied with carrying everything that if you try and reason with them, it's like you're talking to a brick wall. I don't think we can reason with each other. I don't think being plausible matters. But I think when people see the God who's told about and shown, I think some of that stuff goes away. I don't know what you think about it, but uh, the Holy Spirit moved. You can go figure that out later. I don't really care. Let's just keep asking for this. And I am convinced that we have become the church, particularly in our area, in, our, in America especially, we're so reasonable and so working on what we do, we think we have to find ways to convince people. And I don't think anybody's listening to anything we're saying. I think they just need us to show them. I wonder if intellectual plausibility is a detriment. I wonder if God wants to do something beyond it. And by the way, just to be clear, I'm not asking you to be disingenuous. I'm just saying, can we agree that we don't know everything? Let's do that. I always laugh when people say, well, you're being intellectually disingenuous. No, no. I'm just saying there's a limitation. I don't care how smart you think you are. Things change all the time. And what you think could change five years from now, and we do not know it all. Let's just agree to that one. Let me give you another one I think is why we don't do it today. 
I think not everybody gets better. We see death, we see it doesn't work. We see if it doesn't work here, it couldn't work there. There's no way. I can't even answer why that one worked and this one didn't work. And I don't know what to do with this. So if I can't answer it, I'm not going there. I can't believe somehow God moved in this circumstance and not that circumstance. Do you know that's exactly how the book of Acts unfolds? Two leaders, key leaders in the movement, one of them gets beheaded by the king. The next one, angels visit him in jail. And not only is he freed, all the people that are running the jail want to follow Jesus. Two prayers, only one got answered. Listen, the part I know is we can't answer it all, and I don't know why. I sat and watched people get healed, and then six months later watched something happen. I've seen him be healed, and a whole life changes. I've seen little things happen and big things happen. And all I know is I will never say to God, you're going to tell me why or how. I'm just going to keep asking. I think the more we connect to the Spirit the more at peace will be, whether it goes well or not. And this is what I come back to. I'm just going to have to live with some embarrassment because I'm going to ask for things that aren't going to happen. I have lots of times where I'm already explaining why it didn't work. And then when it works, I'm almost surprised. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. I knew God was going to do that. I just had to get over myself. I love that the disciples walk so closely. They seem to have a more in-tune place in it, and that's what I long for. But whether I'm there today or not, I'm going to keep asking. I'm not settling for where it is. Let me take you to another one. I got two more. The next one is, I think we worry that it creates drama, chaos, and preoccupation with this whole kind of sensationalism. I don't know how many of you grew up in different movements, but there's some movements that just scare people. They can have difficult experiences. You know, there's places where people are so enamored with the Spirit's power that basically if something doesn't happen, they'll tell you you didn't have enough faith. And we see those things and we become, I don't even want that if that's what I'm going to be told. It's too dark and difficult. Or we see the life of somebody who's espousing all this sensationalism and we say, you know what, their life doesn't add up. I don't want it either. And we shut it all down. Ken Geyer, a Christian author years ago, said, the spirit is like this fresh wind that comes in the house, but we close the windows because we don't want any bugs with it. Like, we want to manage all the mess, but guess what? With the spirit will come the mess of us because you and I are broken, messy people. You want to know how we help this? Two simple things. One is we keep asking God to forge our character ahead of giftedness so we're not enamored with the power, we're enamored with him. And the other is we keep asking him to let us long for what he does Because I want to see him move for his kingdom, not for mine. Not so I can protect everything, but I want to know what he wants and ask for that. I think that combats those things. It's not either or, it's a different approach. The last one, though, is what concerns me the most in our current culture and life. I just don't think we need him. It's a fascinating thing. You know, even with churches, you can grow a church following good ethical principles and good management and good good, reasonable development of leaders and resources, and the Holy Spirit might not be in any of it. You and I can run great businesses and achieve lots of things and have all sorts of comfort, and we say God blessed us, but God's not really in the equation of what we're dependent or believing or needing. Let's be honest. We live in a world that tells us if we're successful, we did it. I outachieved my friends because I did something they didn't do. You know why I'm doing better? It's about me. And the hard part is a life as a follower of Jesus drops all that. See, this is the most dangerous part. It's actually you and me saying, I am pretty comfortable. Can I admit that? Can you admit it? I'm a reasonable person, and I'm going to weigh and gauge everything I do to make sure it doesn't ask too much of me. 
That is not what a follower of Jesus does. We say, I don't care, and I need you for everything. I need you for everything. And anything and everything in our culture says that's not the way we live. I mean, it's a hard and a dangerous prayer. God, would you make us dependent? Would you make us where we actually need you? I'd like it to be on my own volition, but maybe I just need to have enough struggle that will make me need you. Is that a better prayer than make me comfortable and happy and have my life go well? In case you don't know, yes, it is. It is a much better prayer. It's painful, and yet at the same time, it's so much more life-giving. I want you to hear this prayer because this is where I want us to go, and and then I'm going to just give us a final thing that we're going to do. This is a prayer in Acts. It's one that I found myself really praying because I can't give you a plan like do this and do that and it'll all be better. But I can give you a prayer. This is the early church, and they said this, Lord, consider their threats. You see, the early church was facing a lot of opposition. They, They didn't want the resurrection of Jesus to be central, and they wanted to push it down because it was violating and pushing against their sensibilities and their own lives. Now, the interesting thing was it was the religious people that were more coming at them than what we'd say as the the more pagan lifestyles. I, I want to make it very clear, the more we ask this from God, we will upset people, even in our, and even our own lives, wanting to be religious, wanting to have control over it. They say, oh God, you see what's going on, you see the mess, you know we can't do this. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, you're going to have to help, even help us with what to say. You know, this is something that they taught over and over in an Acts. They said, listen, you're going to be in a place. You're going to be asked questions. You're not going to go, you know what to say. The Spirit will give you what you need at the time. It's not so much that we figure it all out. We need God's help even to know how to speak. And by the way, that's big and small. I know when I'm talking to my friends who are not followers of Jesus, this is not about finding the key to make them convinced. It's knowing where are they open to and what's the Spirit want to give them today to give a loving word where they need it right now. Not just this declarative argument. The Spirit comes in lots of ways and moves in to begin to infiltrate life and show the kingdom that way. Stretch out your hand, Lord. Heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What would it be like for you and me to start praying this? Oh, God, we need you to help us tell and we need you to show. We need you to help us tell and we need you to show. We need you to show it and we need you to help us tell. You need to show it, you need to tell us. How about if we just start praying that? Do you think that might change us? Do you know what happens right after this? It says the whole ground shook. I really wanted to just put in some things to shake us, just to mess with us, but I didn't. I will never try to worry to manufacture that. But oh my goodness, I'd love God to start shaking the ground around us tomorrow morning, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday night. When you're praying this at your work, on your own, in your families in your groups. When we pray and we come back next week, oh God, we need you. You know what's going on. We know we cannot get anybody to go where we want to go. Only you can. God, you're going to have to tell us what to say. You're going to have to give us boldness to do it. Oh God, you're going to have to show your power. You're going to have to stretch out your hand and bring power. Tell me that's not a great prayer. I want to say it again. You and I are called to be witnesses. As witnesses, we show his kingdom, we tell of Jesus. As witnesses, we show his kingdom, we tell of Jesus. As witnesses, we need his help to do both of these, never alone. We only do it by the power of the Spirit. So what I'm going to lead you through is really just a prayer of response today. If you're not ready, that's fine. But if you are, I want you to place your hands out. 
And as you do, I want you to turn them over as if you're letting go. And I'm going to pray, make some statements, and if you want to repeat them, if that's a great way for you to do it, do it. If you want to say your own words, if you're like, I'm not ready, that's fine too. Here's what I want you to say if you're willing. Lord Jesus, I can't do anything without you. I let go of my expectations. I let go of my skills, of my competence, of the way I think I built it. I need you. We need you. I want you to turn your hands over. Holy Spirit, fill me freshly. Fill us freshly. Oh, reveal Jesus more deeply. Help me to walk not in fear. Help me to walk not in concern. Help me to walk tuned to you. Listening for your word that I would speak boldly. Looking for your power that I would ask profoundly. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you just move among us, that you'd fill us fresh. God, maybe it's not shaking a room. Maybe it's shaking us from the inside out. But Lord, awaken us that you actually said greater things that we would do, that we would live in a new way. And I'm asking you to help us do this. We confess we never can, but we also confess we will never convince or reason with people to bring them to you. And we say, God, we don't want to build this on our own. We want to need you. We want to be like the early church that you show and tell through and show and tell through us. Pray this for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.